The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the show. Brought to you by The Athletic with The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball along with Phil Hay, of course, from The Athletic. Uh, to read Phil's stuff in what's going to be, no doubt, a crucial week in the future of Leeds United, have a look on The Athletic, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod pound a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to use our sign-up URL. Phil, the Monday morning edition of the show where we look back at the weekend. Uh, we are twice a week now. Fridays, we preview the game coming up and uh, I think... It's fair to say we feared the worst after Leicester and we, we got the worst. Where are we now with Leeds United? Wasn't that game exactly everybody's gut feeling beforehand? Like the gut feeling of, of what was going to happen. Leeds having a go early on, getting in front and then everything little by little starting to, to come apart at the seams and it developing into the sort of day that head coaches desperately want to avoid. Where are we well, at the moment? Leeds still standing by Jesse Mars. Support for him is still there in the same way as it was after Leicester. It came very quickly after the Leicester game. You know, he, he was pretty much told straight away. And, and again, you know, the reassurances were there um, in, in the, the 48 hours between Leicester and, and Fulham that he would be in charge for Fulham. And the club do still want this to work. They want to try and make it work. They, they still think it, it, they can find a way of, of Marsh finding his feet again and of settling back into this role and, and getting a grip of results. But it seems harder and harder to envisage how that's going to happen. And I think having lost the away end in, in the way that he did on Thursday, you know, the, the reaction from the crowd yesterday, the home crowd at Ellen Road, was, was very similar. Um, he didn't speak after the game like a coach who thought he was going. I thought that was quite apparent and, and therefore it wasn't that much of a surprise to, to find that, that Leeds were still, still with him. But I did think at full time, he, he looked, looking down at him on the touchline, he, he did look shell-shocked and he did look look beaten. And I thought, you know, he, he, he'd been criticised at Leicester for not going to the away end. He, he did go around the pitch yesterday. It was kind of a mixture of applause given back to him, but also some dissent as he, as he went around. And I don't know if you noticed him kicking the ball from the centre of the pitch to the West End touchline, which seemed to me like, you know, just the frustration of a head coach taking his anger out on something. It's, it, it's hard not to, to feel sympathy for somebody in those circumstances because it does become, in rapid time, the most lonely job going. You know, he, he becomes the most lonely man in the stadium and he will not be enjoying this. You know, it's not what any head coach wants. It's not how they want it to, to work out. But it, it does feel as if last week the, the club have completely hit the wall. The reaction was more subdued, actually, than I expected, given how vociferous it was in the away end at Leicester. On Thursday, I, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought when the third Fulham goal went in, we were sat in the west stand in the press box. A lot of people got up to go at that point, assuming the game was done. And I tweeted to say it, it feels more a mood of resignation than it does of anger and, and vitriol. I mean, don't get me wrong; they're very aware of the chance of you getting sacked in the morning and sacked the board and and everything else. The, the frustration was was palpable. But as that as Fulham went three one up, it, it was quite quiet. You know, it, there wasn't intense anger. There wasn't the sort of fury that we saw against Aston Villa on that really toxic night last season. There wasn't anything like the fury that we saw at Leicester on Thursday. I think, I think deep down, you you have to accept that that Marsh seems like a good guy and not somebody who you would you would particularly rush to to berate, but. Tactically, it just isn't working. I, I don't think you can claim otherwise. The, the results are extremely poor. 
And you have to be concerned about league position that has you 18th and two points adrift of the rest of the pack. If that gets out of hand, Leeds are in serious trouble this season. And I think you can say at this point that they're already in serious trouble. And that was one of my questions for Marsh afterwards was how, given that, you know, the survival at Brentford was supposed to draw a line under that sort of campaign and, and that sort of jeopardy, how is it that at this stage they seem to be in more trouble than they were back then? You know, or certainly more trouble than they were 12 months ago. I don't. I remember under Bielsa, you know, 10 games in, 11 games in, starting to feel worried about the form and, and starting to feel as if the season wasn't going to get going. But I don't remember being this concerned about where they were, where they were, where they are, how how they were playing. You know, this this feels like major, major risk of going down to me. When we did the show on Friday in the wake of Leicester, I, I asked you, do you think there's a way back? from this for Jesse Marsh. And I was actually mildly surprised to hear you say you didn't think there was, but that seems quite prescient for what happened yesterday on Sunday when I left that ground thinking, nah, it, it looks like he's done. He, he's carrying himself like a man who is, who's done. The team are responding like a team that don't know how to play for him anymore. It just felt like the whole thing basically collapsed. I, I, I go back to what I said about the away end. I think they're a very good measure of how people are feeling. And the speed at which they turned. I mean, I know the form hasn't been good. It's six defeats and eight. It's eight games without a win. But that said to me that the relationship has been on a fairly fragile foot in any way, you know, and, and that it, it has, I think, been difficult for people to properly buy into to Marsh because a lot of the games last season were extremely fraught and, and they did stay up, but it was by the skin of their teeth. And you, you could argue about whether it was by design or, or by luck in the end because it, it was so close. And to have had the full summer and to have had pre-season and to have had the specific signings come in, although you know I, I understand why there's a disconnect developing more and more between the crowd and the board, because this is not purely on Marsh. You know, there, there are flaws in the flaws in the, the makeup of the squad which go further than him and, and go to you know stretch to, to the recruitment strategy. And um, but we we are kind of where we were. Um, last season, it, it hasn't improved, and and the form is worse, if anything, than it was at, at any stage last season. It, it really is a, a, a deep concern. And when the away end reacts like that, you know that your your hardcore support are losing faith rapidly. I think you saw again at Ellen Road yesterday that there isn't a vast amount of faith amongst the home crowd either. Um, I think everybody kind of has a gut, gut feeling, a sense for where this is going. Um, and it, it will be incredibly difficult for him to survive. We've all seen enough football to know how ruthless Premier League is, to know how it tends to go when a club gets into this position. I think it would take a big leap of faith on the part of the club at the moment to believe that this is going to turn around. Tactically, you said it isn't working before then, Phil. Why isn't it working tactically? What is it that's not happening or is happening? Well, this isn't a new thing, but one something that, that jumped out over and over again to me yesterday was the, the struggle that Leeds are having to build attacks from the back. And I don't want to, to labour on Bielsa's football here, but one of the things that was really good about his team at the peak was the ability for Melier to play out to centre-backs, play out to full-backs, and for everything to flow from there and for Leeds to be able to play through the lines, to play up the field and to create chances in that manner. Fulham were good at that yesterday. Pereira had an excellent game at 10, really good at stretching the play, but they were brave and ambitious on the ball away from home. You know, they, they obviously had it in their heads that any chance they got to play and to open things up, they were going to do it, and, and it really worked for them. There was a period in the first half where 
Leeds seemed to have got into a cul-de-sac where the the only strategy they had was diagonals to Lewis Sinistera and the occasional one to the other side of the pitch where you had Harrison and, and Luke Ayling. There was a, a constant battle, and there is a constant battle, to play from defence to midfield and then midfield to attack, you know, to build up to build up and to create some fluency where everything connects. There's a reliance on frenzied play. There's a, a reliance on chaos to, to throw up chances. And more and more, I, I struggle to see why Marsh was painted as a sort of natural successor to, to Bielsa because I don't see similarities in the football. There is the hard running, but, you know, even yesterday it occurred to me that the hard running is not sustained now in the way that it was under Bielsa. You know, his teams could run all day. And that was one of the things that, that made them so strong. With Leeds, you're always expecting there to be moments where they where they sag and, and the, the steam goes out of the performance. And I think that leaves them in a, in a, a position where they have to capitalise on the points where they're dominant. And if they don't, they, they become very, very vulnerable. They, they don't look like a good side at the moment. Having said that, the, equally, you know, Marsh has been undone by individual errors. He's been undone by the fact that chances aren't being taken at key moments. They are short of a left back. They need another number nine, a, a established number nine. It's an old argument, but it's still a pertinent argument. And the, the blame is shared. It definitely feels that way, doesn't it, with the eye being turned on the board? I mean, you mentioned the recruitment strategy there. And like you said, we're beating the same drum over and over again with this. But fans have been concerned about shortcomings in the squad for like two years now. Like we were central midfield last year, so we've addressed that this summer. And then the failure to get an alternative at left back and a striker was held up in the previous window and nothing was done about it. Although Marsh said they were looking at more and then they rode back to shore on that, didn't they? They backpedaled and then put him up for that Sky Sports interview when he was talking about how happy he was with the squad. Yeah, it was quite interesting when he was asked about number nine yesterday and specifically asked, you know, has that cost you the fact that you haven't signed one? I know they brought in Willie Nonto from FC Zurich, but Nonto hasn't played yet. He wasn't in the squad yesterday. He's he's 18 and he's very raw. And yes, you know, you, you need to see him play before you can draw a conclusion on him. But if you found that he wasn't ready or was out of his depth at, at this stage because he's so young, then it wouldn't come as a huge surprise, would it? Because he, he doesn't have a, a track record yet that, that shows that he's ready for regular football in the Premier League. I think I touched on this in the last podcast about the fact that at one end of the spectrum, you have Bamford and Rodrigo, one player, Rodrigo, who just feels so often like a busted flush and, and Bamford who can't find his, his you know, struggle to find his fitness and, and his scoring touch isn't there at the moment. And behind them, when it comes to choosing a number nine, you're essentially looking at under 21s and, and there's nothing in between. And, and I think that is a shortcoming that, that is costing them uh, and, and is handicapping them at the moment. And you're right. I mean, you know, I, I wrote after Arsenal saying that Leeds as a team have not been on a roll now for about 18 months. And that goes back to the end of the 2021 season. And they just have not managed to build on that. It seems like an awful long time ago. And, you know, the, the kind of platform that was there at that point is gone. You know, Leeds had it, they've they've lost it. And there's a hell of a lot of work to do, even in the, the very short term, to get themselves back on steady ground. How can they do that, though? What, what do they need to do? Is it one of those go back to basics scenarios? And, and is Marsh the man to do that? Is he capable of doing it? Well, he has a system that he trusts and believes in, the same as Bielsa did. And, you know, Bielsa stuck with it to the end. Marsh isn't isn't tweaking it much. I think there probably has to be a fresh look at how you take these players and get the best out of them. 
what is going to work in in the shorter term that that's definitely or more likely to get results? I mean, they have Bournemouth coming in two weeks' time, which is a game that they've got to take some points from. And okay, two of these games are coming after the World Cup, so they're a, a long way down the line. But Leeds haven't played many of the top six yet, and and in the next five games, alongside Bournemouth, they've got Liverpool and they've got Spurs. Then they've got Manchester City and they've got Newcastle. As I say, City and Newcastle fall after the World Cup, so late December, early January. But those are extremely difficult fixtures and and not necessarily fixtures that are going to yield many points. And they do have to be really careful that they don't get cut adrift, that that a gap doesn't open up that puts the the pressure on massively. Um, I'm sort of in two minds as to whether the World Cup break is a good thing. I think it is in the sense that it's a sort of impromptu pre-season that you wouldn't normally have and, and there's potentially no club that are more in need of that than Leeds. I mean, Wolves might argue differently, but you know, Leeds should benefit from, from having that. And I think if you stand by Marsh, then that gives you a, a long period in which to address issues and to think about recruitment in January, to talk seriously about what needs to change, what needs to improve. If you decide to go in a different direction, it actually gives you the, the flexibility where you don't have to lump on a short-term appointment or an interim appointment or a caretaker or anything else. You can almost go for a long-term choice because you have a stretch of weeks in which they can actually work with the team without any games. I mean, OK, some, some players are going to be away at the World Cup, so it's not as if it's going to be um, a full batch who who are at Thorpe Arch or, or on tour or whatever in that time. But um, at the same time, it occurs to me that Leeds need to get some results together and they need to get points on the board and it's not going to be a happy spell through November and December if they go into badly out of form. Reading between the lines on Angus Kinnear's programme notes, it felt like they've set the World Cup break as, a, as something of a, of a, I don't know, is it a fire break? Is it, a, is it a, a marker in the future for Marsh to get this together? I mean, finger in the airtime, do you think he'll still be at the other side of the um, of the World Cup break? It's, it, it's hard to believe that he will be, although that will depend on the club and the club's confidence in him is held through these these two results. You know, two games that felt so critical and, and two games that felt as if points needed to come from them. It's an incredibly hard game at, at Anfield. It will be an incredibly hard game down at Tottenham. Bournemouth in the middle is definitely winnable. And, you know, that that is the sort of result that could keep him, keep him ticking over. But I think both the club and Marsh will know that the odds of them avoiding the inevitable with this are, are fairly slim. And, and for the simple reason that you're having to claw back support from a crowd who have not necessarily abandoned you completely, but are not far off that. A, a crowd who who are losing faith in this. It's an incredibly difficult situation to be in. And that, you know, that is very often what, what does for a manager. I think Leeds are going to have to be really honest with themselves here and, and you know, take a, a really, really firm decision on whether this can turn around again because it's not as if they're in 14th and, and dropping you know they're down in the bottom three now the two two points adrift it's a long long time since they won a game they, they are in trouble this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. How much do you think the ownership and the ownership situation is playing into all this situation, Phil? It feels to me as a fan, don't know if you agree with this, that the club's been almost been in stasis this year. 
uh, to a certain extent with the ownership. Yeah, I've been thinking about this this morning and it does feel as if they've moved from a period where they had so much direction and so much vision about what was coming next to a position where it's hard to know where they're going to be in two or three years' time. You know, what is happening with the West Stand? Is this squad going to keep them in the Premier League? Are they getting the, the recruitment right? Um, which I think you'd have to say at the moment, no, because they're, they're, they're struggling. It feels as if there are a lot of things that need a reset, you know, as if they've, as I say, they, they, they had it under Bielsa. They were, they were right there. And it does feel as if that is gone. We talk quite often about the 49ers, you know, and the, the option they have to buy the club, the idea of them becoming majority shareholders. Um, and time seems to tick by, you know, time always seems to tick by. The, the option runs until 2024. So in, in terms of the, the deadline or the date for it, there's no mad rush. But it's always confused me slightly as to why they don't want to get the teeth into this properly and why they don't want to, to take I guess why they, they didn't want to take it on at the high watermark, you know, um, when things were, were going so well. The club was the club was, I think, absolutely at its peak in 2021 at the end of that COVID season. There's been a decline since then, absolutely. There's been a decline on the coaching front, there's been a decline on on the playing front. There hasn't been progress with you know the, the development of the stadium, not as we've been made aware. So yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I, I think Leeds do need a kind of they do need to work out what the vision is from here, where they're going, what what is going to happen. They do need a plan. And in terms of the recruitment strategy, one of the criticisms from from fans, not only about the the recruitment strategy itself, is but when fans have I think rightly had concerns about the recruitment, um, the response from the club. It feels like almost they're talking down to us sometimes. Well, I think a lot of what has been said over the past 18 months has been proven to be correct. You know, a lot of us thought that a, a central midfielder was needed last season. Um, central midfielder was needed last season. It was one of the things that, that cost them. I mean, I, I, I can't pretend that I didn't overestimate the potential of the squad last season. I did not expect them to get into the amount of trouble that they did. And I think you would have to say that to a certain extent, they have pushed the promotion squad too far. It has gone too far. It hasn't been refreshed enough. I think a lot of the signings that were made in the summer made sense to me, but they particularly made sense because of the, the system that Marsh was was going for and what he was wanting to do. You know, they, they fitted into his plan. But I said all the way through the summer that it seemed quite obvious that another number nine would be good and, and would would be to Leeds' benefit to have. Left-back we've been speaking about for so long. And left-back is an issue. You know, again, football comes in at, Le- at Leicester, plays on that side of, of defence, and doesn't look good enough. You know, it doesn't look good enough, having not consistently looked good enough all the way through his first season at Leeds when, when he was fit. So, yeah, you know, if, if people are frustrated with the recruitment, I totally understand why. And there is a really, really good crop of 21s at Leeds. Um, there really are some good players there, but this is quite a difficult environment to be blooding them in. You know, it's not a, it's not the, the form is not positive, the mood is not positive. It doesn't make it easy to push them through, and and I still can't decide in my head if in four or five years' time I see these twenty ones making up the core of a first team. I, I can't say for certain that that it's going to work out for them. It it might well because some of them are are really good. You know, some of them have, have huge amounts of talent. But it feels to me as if the squad is kind of short of where it needs to be 
to be safe and sound in the Premier League. I think the squad is at a level where it could quite easily be 14th, could quite easily be 13th, but it could, could quite easily run into trouble too. And these are the fine margins of the Premier League though, aren't they? Really, the difference, you know, a couple of goals either way. We're a Bamford penalty away from this week being framed completely differently against Arsenal. If you know, if he'd scored that, we get a draw. We maybe even go on to win that game. Um, and, 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 not, and the, the pendulum only, swings the other way. Not only that, I mean, the you know the shot from Sinistera that hits the bar at Leicester, the chance from Somerville straight after that he should have scored, and then it goes two 0 and, and the game's essentially lost. The chance for Bamford yesterday at one all again Leeds go two one up potentially win that game. But I suppose the counter-argument is to say that, you know, in the first half, you had the Harrison-Reed chance that Rocker somehow cleared off the line. You had the one-on-one with Pereira that um, Millie pulled off a great save from, but Pereira will look at that and think that, that he should have scored. You know, Leeds cut wide open in that moment. Um, Marco Silva said afterwards that he thought Fulham were the best team on the pitch. He thought they deserved to win. I agreed. I, I, think, I think they did. You know, I think they deserved to win. I thought Leicester deserved it without being particularly great um, on Thursday and I thought Arsenal were incredibly lucky to get out of Ellen Road with with anything but we did say after the Arsenal game if this week uh, the week behind us doesn't go well if Leicester and Fulham don't go well people are not going to sit and talk about how good the performance was against Arsenal they will talk about it as another defeat in a spell where there have been plenty of them and that's the problem now the, the points are just not coming and with rare exceptions thinking about Arsenal and obviously what happened with the Chelsea game it doesn't take a lot to beat this Leeds team, does it? No, I think there's a, a formula for it. And I wrote that in my piece this morning, that it, it kind of settles into a pattern that you expect Leeds to come at you from the off. And if you can soak that up, douse it with water, then you know the, the steam will go out of the performance, not necessarily for the rest of the game. You know, there were periods in the second half where Leeds picked it up again yesterday. But I thought it was quite noticeable after Mitrovic's header that the same pressure on Fulham wasn't there. You know, it just wasn't wasn't the same. And I think if you can do that and if you can get through that spell, then you can back yourself to play. And that's exactly what, what Fulham did. For, in a way, performance, it was pretty much spot on yesterday. They, they got the tactics absolutely right. And yeah, I mean, you, you're right about concessions creeping in, concessions coming from, from set pieces as well. It's not really working on any front. And, and I suspect Marsh will feel to himself that in terms of getting results, it's not necessarily a million miles away either, you know, because as I say, that there were the chances at Leicester, there were the chances against Arsenal, there were the moments yesterday where the game could have tipped in in their favour. But I would say that at the moment, they are in far too many contests where it feels edgy and it feels tense and it feels as if it wouldn't take much for it to go against them. Now, what did you make of the team changes going into yesterday then? Most of them made sense to me. Greenwood was a big call. Greenwood was a little bit like... Someone said to me, um, break glass, emergency break glass. You know, you go for Greenwood in the way that um, they did at Brentford on, on the last day of, of last season, where, where it, it absolutely worked, no doubt about that. Essentially, yesterday, with the exception of Bamford, he seemed to be bringing back his, his most reliable players or his, his bigger hitters, you know. So Ailing, Cooper, Harrison, all back into the team. Rodrigo scored, obviously, but I didn't think Rodrigo had an, an especially great game. I thought he might have gone with Bamford again but that's probably part of the problem at the moment isn't it that it isn't settling down into a fixed 11 clearly Tyler Adams was injured which is why Greenwood came into the side Adams would have played otherwise but it is a bit of a struggle I think if you look at the lineup against Arsenal then the lineup against Leicester the lineup against Fulham granted it's three games in a week so you have to manage certain players 
but it has been a bit chop and change. And it, it I, I think that's probably having the effect of making it difficult for players to settle in certain positions. It's interesting that you picked out Aileen Cooper and Harrison as the big hitters. And that just goes back to what you were saying before. They're all promotion winning players, aren't they? They're not, they're not yeah. the new recruits. They're not the Premier League recruits. Perhaps that's not a great phrase to use. I, I suppose the, the the big voices might be a better way of putting it, or the the, the players who the kind of proven or um, established players that I guess when you need people to stand up and stand up and make themselves shown, the, the people that that you would trust most to do that, it did make sense to me to you know gravitate towards your most reliable squad members um, and and the people you you trust most. But without a doubt, it, it is chopping and changing. It, it isn't settled at the moment. And I mean, who, who knows what, what he does for Liverpool, how he picks a team to go there and, and seriously compete. Because Liverpool have been extremely up and down, but that that is going to be a very, very hard game. It does suggest they haven't adequately built on the platform of promotion, though, doesn't it? That you just naturally yeah. gravitate towards those figures as, as the leaders in the dressing room and the money they've spent elsewhere doesn't necessarily seem to have been spent all that well. But just going back to Ailing specifically, actually, like he was Mark Mitrovic, wasn't he, for the uh, for the headed corner? And you wonder, is there something we could have done differently there? Maybe somebody else attacking that ball, picking up Mitrovic? Yeah, I think so. I think set pieces are one of the things that, that need addressed, without a doubt. Again? Um, uh, yeah. Um, as, as I say, I think in terms of the, the ability of the, the squad to sustain the, the intense running that, that is there to begin with, that's probably something that needs to be worked on as well. They, do, you think they, do you think they're not fit enough, Phil? It's, it's impossible for me to say that. You know, to look at, I think what I would say is that, uh, to my eyes, the naked eye looking on, it doesn't feel as if the intense running and pressing that is always there to begin with is sustained right the way through the game. And I always felt with Bielsa, I know things changed latterly with Bielsa and, and Leeds were not a good team under him last season, but... I always felt with him that you could rely on Leeds to... I mean, the, his first season used to make me laugh because they would be 1-0 up in a game that was into the 93rd minute and they would still be attacking en masse trying to score a, a second goal and they would still have the energy to do it. And they, they were exceptionally fit. I mean, the stats, the numbers spoke for themselves. You know, they, they, it, wasn't, it was never a myth, this thing about them being able to run. I don't think this Leeds team are able to produce that sort of intensity over 90 minutes in in the same way. So I think there are definitely things that that can change, but it's it, it's hard to see how it does in a short period of time. And perhaps that is, again, you know, to use that phrase, perhaps that's why this break will be a bit of a saving grace because it will give the opportunity to work on things like set pieces, you know, to to work on the pressing and the, the intensity, to, to try and get all of that back to the level where it needs to be. You do wonder, do you, if it maybe isn't a fitness issue so much as a morale issue there, that games get away from them so their heads drop and they don't quite run as much or they don't do the same things as much? Well, that's football. That's the psychological aspect of it. And players players start to sense very quickly when things aren't going well. And, and I don't think I could say for one minute that the players aren't with Marsh. I don't get that impression at all. But it's very hard to be on the pitch. I mean, I, I asked Marsh afterwards whether or not he and the players had spoken about the reaction of the crowd at Leicester in between the games, you know, whether they'd addressed that specifically, you know, not just that there's a little bit of unrest, but, you know, that kind of the the, the ferocity of it. And he, he didn't really say yes or no, but 
those sort of things do get into players' heads. They know when they're under pressure. They know when things are, are not going well. You've seen it loads of times at Ellen Road over the years where that mood from the stands seeps into And it's in no way are the crowd to blame, I don't think, because I, I don't think you get many more supportive crowds anywhere. But when it starts to get tense and, and tetchy, that does start to seep onto the pitch. And players do not enjoy being in this sort of form. You know, players want to win. Players want to win games. Players want to be flying. Players want to bully other teams in the way that Leeds did in the first Premier League season and, and they're just not that animal at the moment. So it's Monday morning, 10 o'clock as we uh, speak at this very, very moment. Next time we speak will be towards the back end of the week. What do you think is going to happen between now and when we sit down to do this again? What's uh, what's in store for the week ahead for Leeds? Well, it doesn't sound to me as if there's going to be um, a change with Marsh before Liverpool. I, the, the indication has been that, that he will he will stay in charge. Um, so we may well be looking a little bit further down the line before there's any kind of substantial alterations. I think, assuming that Marsh does his press conference on Thursday, I think that's one of the things that I'm, I'd be very interested to find out. You know, what has he changed this week? What what has he looked at and said to himself that needs to be better? Or that I mean, set pieces, for example. What what are they doing about set pieces? How have they addressed it? Tactically, is anything going to change? Formation-wise, is, is anything going to change? Is there going to be a bit of a rethink? Where is he at with, with personnel and, and team selection? I mean, I, I guess to a large extent as a coach, this is where you, you really, really earn your, your money. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't envy his position at the moment. It's hard, as I say, it's hard whether or not you rate Marsh, whether you think he's right for the job, it's very hard not to sympathise with somebody who is, you know, in, in this sort of pickle. If it didn't affect me so much emotionally, I would think it'd be a fascinating week, but it just sounds like pain until we uh, get this one out of the system, doesn't it, one way or another? Well, it's that sort of horrible game, you know, in, in the way that after Bielsa's team lost to Manchester United last season, the game that Radrazani said had pretty much decided that, that Bielsa was going to go, it was Liverpool midweek, and Liverpool were a much better setup, were in much better form and playing far better at that stage than, than they are now. But it was that sort of game where, where you thought this is just an absolutely thankless task. And OK, it doesn't excuse going there and conceding six goals. But, you know, the, the potential for that to happen was there. The thing is, it, it, I, I don't know whether it helps Marshall Leeds that, Le- that Liverpool have actually been beatable this season and that other clubs like Forest on Saturday have competed really strongly with them and, and taken points from them because suddenly it isn't that sort of fixture that you can just kind of dismiss as a free hit and, and excuse no matter what, but Liverpool are strong at Anfield, always strong at Anfield. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't say I have much confidence of Leeds taking much from it. No, but it would be very Leeds to go and do something, wouldn't it? <laughs> After this it week, yeah. It would, it would. Um, and it is that sort of result that, that can kind of change everything or give everything um, a different perspective. But I think if we're looking at the fixture list in the calendar at the moment, the Bournemouth game at Ellen Road is the one. You know, that is, if, if they're going to come out of come out of this spell and into the, the World Cup break out of the, the bottom three, then I get the sense that that is the game. Right then, Phil, we'll be back towards the end of the week to uh, to see where we are, reassess and go into another weekend of uh, of action. Look forward to speaking to you then. The Phil Hay Show.